Good morning. How are you? It's good to see you. Um, thank you so much for uh, just so many of you have expressed your, uh, that you're praying for our family, and we're just super grateful for that. Uh, we feel incredibly loved in the season of our lives, even though it's difficult. Um, Lucy's surgery is uh, May 15th. It's, it's uh, not this week, it's next week. Uh, so just uh, Tuesday, May 15th, if you could uh, pray for us that morning, that would be outstanding. Um, and also, uh, please pray for uh, Andrew and Angela, who are welcoming uh, son or daughter this week on Wednesday. Uh, or, and also pray for uh, Carrie as she's getting married on Friday. And uh, Pastor Tyler, who's going to Disney World at the end of May. <laughs> we all have big things happening this month. It's amazing. We were just like kind of looking at the calendar and we're like, Wow, this was poor planning. All of us have major life events right now. And uh, so just be gracious with us. I mean, we'll be here for the most part. Uh, Carrie won't be. She'll be on her honeymoon. Um, but we're, uh, we want to just love you through these seasons of our lives. We're not going to, like, disappear and um, be like our lives are in transition in these ways. Uh, we really, um, and just so you know this, uh, it's just an honor to work with our staff. Um, sometimes I am blown away by how much our staff just loves you and cares for you, and, and loves this church, and loves this people. And uh, I just want you to know how, uh, how their hearts are really for you. Um, I want to ask you a question this morning. Why are you here? Why are you here? No, not why did you come to church today, but why are you still on this planet? Let's be honest with one another. Life is hard. Even if you're the most positive person in the room, you know that life is filled with difficult days, tough seasons, and we all experience pain. If Jesus Christ has promised those of us who have put their, our faith in him, eternal life in his presence, in a place called heaven, a life without death, cancer, surgery, unemployment, the 422, and Patriots fans, why are we still here? And some of you are wondering, are Patriots fans going to be in heaven? I believe part of the answer to the reason, <laughs> I believe part of the answer is that the gospel of Jesus Christ does not simply impact life after death, it impacts life today. The Christian life is not about escaping from this world, it's about being light in this world. God has a purpose for your life. Knowing Jesus Christ means that our lives are about so much more than building bigger houses, putting our kids through college, growing our investment portfolio, and making enough money to take a nice vacation this summer. Houses, college, investing, vacation are all good things, but they are not of ultimate importance. It's not uncommon for God's people, especially in affluent suburban America, to believe that God is supposed to join them in helping them and their children achieve some portion of the American dream. God's purposes for your life are so much more greater and far more exciting than straining for your own happiness, comfort, and luxury, and an early retirement. Jesus has called us to follow him. And where Jesus wants to lead you is into a life revolving around his purposes in the world. What are those? The most concise way to put it is that Jesus has called us 
to go into all the nations of the earth and make disciples, teaching everyone to obey all that Jesus has commanded. To put it even more simply, your purpose in life, no matter what your vocation is, no matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, a CEO, a teacher, you're in IT, wherever you're at this morning, you are on this planet to help other people see and know Christ. This isn't simply for pastors and missionaries. This is the purpose for your life and mine. God has strategically placed you in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your school system, in your dorm room, at your little league, and in your family to help those you are surrounded by know Jesus. We've been looking since January, and we'll finish Ephesians sometimes. We've been looking at January at the letter of Ephesians. And last week, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the letter of Ephesians, told us this simple thing. We are called to live as children of light. And we learned to be a child of light means that we are to have influence in our dark and broken world. Other people are supposed to see the love, the grace, the kindness, and the truth of who Jesus is in your life and mine. We are called to influence those living in darkness. That was Paul's term for everyone who is separated from God by their sin. We're to influence them to come into the light and receive Christ into their lives. And because God has called you and has called me to a life of influence for his purposes in the world, the very next thing Paul says in Ephesians 5 verses 15 through 17 is this. Be very careful. Be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Paul tells us we must walk wisely because the days are evil. Five times in Ephesians, Paul uses the metaphor of walking to describe the Christian life. And here we are reminded to walk in wisdom. Paul says that a wise life will be marked by carefulness in how you are living. We are careful to live our lives aligned with God's purposes, not the purposes the world has for us. Life is not meant to be lived aimlessly. Life is not a series of frenetic activities followed by downtime. The call to walk wisely is not a call to theoretical knowledge. It is a call to make wise choices in light of who God is, what he has done for us in Christ, and the purposes he has called us to. Wisdom is taking what we know about God's purposes for us and applying it to our everyday decisions. What I love about Paul is that he does not um, kind of leave this whole idea of walking wisely where we have to like kind of figure out what that means. He tells us two things that will mark our lives if we're going to walk wisely. The first is this. We're going to make the best use of our time. 
Listen to what he says. He says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise but as wise. Verse 16, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. That, word, that phrase, making the most of every opportunity, behind that is this idea of redeeming the time. This is a metaphoric way of saying, use your time well. God cares how you use your time. Here's something that maybe you haven't heard before. Your time doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God. And notice we need to use our time well because the days are evil. Think about that. Because evil exists in the world, because people are living in darkness apart from Christ, because Satan is influencing those who are far from God to remain in darkness, we need to make good use of the opportunities God has given us with others to share Christ. We are called to use every opportunity we have, make the most of every opportunity to push back darkness. The priority of our lives is to influence those around us to know Christ. So I was thinking about this point this week, and I was just trying to, um, sorry, I know I just got a little darker. Um, I stepped out of the light. I was thinking about this point this week, and I was praying. I'm like, Lord, come on. This sounds good, right? Like, it's easy to preach this, make the most of every opportunity. Like, it's biblical truth. But I have to be honest with you, sometimes, sometimes even in my own life, I'm like, God, you need to make this text come alive in me. Because I don't just want to like tell you these things, walk away and be like, okay, what does that even look like? So last night I was, um, I was at my son's third baseball game of the week, sitting at a little league field. The umpire was a half hour late. The game was supposed to start at 6.30, it didn't start till 7, and his last game went nine innings, and it was three hours long. I got to the field at 5.30, I didn't get home till 9.45, and let's just put, put this out there, I was not happy. So I'm at the baseball field again, and I'm thinking, Lord, I, I would rather be doing a lot of other things on Saturday night. And I was just thinking about this phrase, make the most of every opportunity. And so I got to the baseball field, and I just kind of quietly said, Lord, Make this real for me, please. And so I met this guy named Sean who was sitting next to me. He happens to be a nurse down at CHOP, and we were kind of sharing Lucy's story with him. Got to minister to him a little bit. I got to share with a guy who I'm trying to build a relationship with who suffered a really bad back injury. I just felt like the Lord kind of prompted me to say, hey, Eric, I am praying for you, and I am praying for Eric. That wasn't just like pastor speak. But there was a young man playing baseball, and he was on the other team. He was not on my son's team. And I don't know how else to put this, but the fact that he has an enormous anger problem. Several times during the game, the game would stop, and he would absolutely lose control. He would swear at the umpire, he would swear at his coach, he was swearing at the parents on our team, he was just unhinged. And I was standing there, and I was standing with my wife and my sister-in-law, and we were watching the game from a distance, and I started saying things to myself like, where is this kid's father? 
Where are his parents? Why aren't they, why aren't they rooting this out in his life? I heard two dads say audibly, I hate this kid. He was an easy kid to hate. I happen to know who I thought was this young man's father because this kid is actually on a basketball team that I coach. And you could just feel parents on both sides, all the players just disgusted with this kid's behavior. And it was gross. And so the game had ended and I was walking back to the dugout to get Joseph. And this young man's father, who I thought was his father, walks towards me. And he just kind of was shaking his head. And he goes, man, he has such a temper. And I just sense God just, hey, this is the opportunity. And in that moment, God gave me just a tremendous amount of compassion I went from a man who was standing in judgment with the crowd, what is wrong with this kid? And the Lord just moved in my heart and I said, hey, I, I, I don't actually know your name and he told me his name. And I said, hey, what is going on with your son? And he said to me, a lot of really bad things has happened to him. And I said, oh, he goes, I'm trying to help him. I said, this is how I grew up. And I'm always telling him, you don't have to do this. You can change. And I said, well, what kind of things have happened to him? His father left him. His father left him. I said to him, I said, you're not his dad? Internal repentance happening on the spot. He goes, no. He goes, I'm his stepdad. And I said, how do you deal with this? He goes, I don't know, I'm the only one he'll listen to. He goes, but I know he can change. And I put my arm around that dude and I said, listen, I said, I know this is a little weird, I said, I just want you to know that the way that you're loving this boy is so precious and so important do not give up on him. And I said, I want you to know I'm going to be praying for him. Two grown men, he just sort of melted into my arms. I don't know if he knows Jesus or not. And so I was leaving and I, I passed this boy who literally no one was standing around. And I went up to him and I put my hands on his shoulders and I said, you pitched a great game tonight. Keep your head up. I love you. And I drove home last night, overcome that 60 to 80 parents can watch a baseball game and their hearts can be so filled with hate over a broken 12-year-old boy. And I was so grateful that God did not let me miss that one. And I simply say this to you. Make the most of your opportunities. 
There are people all around you who need the hope and the kindness of Christ to flow out of you. And I have failed numerous times. I don't tell you the story in any heroic sense. In any way at Spring Valley, you know I share my failures more than I share my triumphs. But I'm just asking you this morning, what does it look to make the most of every opportunity? Just whispering to the Lord in the day in and day out of your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, at the job site, in the classroom. Make the most of every opportunity. We are light. We are children of light. And we carry the hope for every man, woman, and child in the gospel. Open your mouth. Share hope with people. Share love with people. Point people to Jesus. What does it look to live a wise life? Make the most of every opportunity. Here's the second thing you're supposed to do to live a wise life. Do God's will. Therefore, do not be foolish. Why does Paul say, therefore, do not be foolish? Because the days are evil. Because the days are evil, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Haven't you wondered at some point in your life, what is God's will for me? I know I have. Haven't we all asked that question before? Should I marry this person? Should I take this job? Should we move there? Should I buy this car? Should I go on this date? Probably not. But Paul isn't talking about big life decisions when he says we need to understand what the Lord's will is. And he's probably saying what the will of Jesus is. Because whenever Paul uses the term Lord, he is usually referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. Biblically speaking, God's will for us is a lot less about our location and a whole lot, and our vocation, and a whole lot more about who we are becoming. God's will for us is ultimately about being more like Jesus and living to please him. We will always be in God's will if we are making decisions through the filter of will this please Jesus. Remember Paul said last week, even if you weren't here, Paul actually said to the church, find out what pleases the Lord. That's what he tells us to do. And it's the same thing here with the Lord's will. When you're trying to discover God's will, you say, will this please Jesus? We will always be in God's will if we, were, if we are living out his purpose for us in sharing Christ with those around us. After all, living this way makes sense because Paul told us the days are evil. The call for us to walk in wisdom is incredibly practical then. Here's what a wise person does. It's someone who uses their time and makes decisions that reflect that they understand why God has put them on this planet, to be a light for Jesus Christ. That's why you're here, to use your time well, to do God's will so that you can be a light for Christ in every sphere of influence that God has placed you in. But there's one more thing I want to point out this morning about what we need to do 
in light of the fact that the days are evil. Listen to what Paul says next. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, do not get drunk on wine. That's a weird thing to say after just telling us to do God's will. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. That's really a way of saying wasting your life. Getting drunk is a waste of your life. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So don't get drunk, but instead, get filled with the Spirit. we got to ask, why are those two things contrasted? We'll get there in a moment. And then he says this, and everything Paul says next is one sentence in Greek, and it all describes what it looks like to live a Spirit-filled life. He says five things. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What we are supposed to do to live a wise life because the days are evil is live full of the Spirit of God. The contrast with drunkenness is the key here. Why do people go to alcohol? For happy hour, right? Maybe in, your, maybe in your office place it's like, oh my gosh, it's Friday. Who's meeting me for happy hour at 5 o'clock? Why do people love happy hour? Because it's a way to forget how terrible life is. You're like, no, I go for the social part. Fine, great. Be a light for Christ there. But many people are not there to be a light for Christ and because they're trying to make friends. They're there to drown their sorrows in a substance. We all want to be happy, but it is so hard to be happy because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. Where do you turn when you realize days are evil? When you are frightened, discouraged, depressed, anxious? Paul pleads with us, Don't turn to alcohol. Don't turn to guns. Don't turn to food. Don't turn to Netflix. Don't turn to the Phillies or the Eagles or the Sixers. You probably shouldn't do that anyway, down 3-0. But you get it, right? Like, we are people who love to turn everywhere except to the Spirit of God to find joy and contentment in this life. We are always trying to distract ourselves from evil days. And Paul says, be full of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God that takes up residence in the life of a Christian when they place their faith in Jesus. The Christian life is supposed to be marked by being continually, that's what the verb means when he says be filled with the Spirit, he means be continually filled with the Spirit of God. This language of being filled with the Spirit is a little bit strange, right? Like what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? But we can understand what it means to be filled with the Spirit in the same way if I were to tell you I am filled with grief or I am filled with joy. The idea is that these emotions are dominating my life right now. In the same way, being filled with the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit becomes the central influence in your life, motivating and directing all that you do. 
Throughout the New Testament, when people are filled with the Holy Spirit, they are filled with joy in God, boldness in the face of persecution, and power to resist temptation. Galatians 5 tells us that the Spirit produces a life marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. That's what the Spirit-filled life looks like. When you're filled with the Spirit, this is what comes out of you. And Paul gets very specific. What will we do if we're filled with the Spirit? Three things, quickly. Number one, we're going to sing. You're like, what? Paul says, when you are full of the Spirit, you're going to sing. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord. Some of us, we come to a place like this to sing, and it is like getting water from a rock to open your mouth and lift your voice to Jesus. Oh, I'm not doing that. I'm too good for singing. I'll sing at the next concert I go to, but not here. This is weird. Men don't sing. Men full of the Spirit sing. That's girly. No, it's not. It's beautiful, and it's good, and that's what God wants. Singing. Now, let me be clear. We don't get filled with the Spirit when we sing. Okay? It's not like, if you sing, the Spirit's going to come. That's called manipulation. You will sing when you're full of the Spirit of God. The overflow of the Spirit in our lives will be worship. And all of these, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, they're just different style of songs. Like, there's not like some magic key to understanding these. There's probably not a big difference between them. But all of these songs are meant to highlight the greatness of God and the reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. Notice a couple of things about singing. Notice we not only sing to the Lord Jesus, but we also sing to one another. That'd be real awkward if I just walked up to one of you, Pete Tavella, and just started singing to you. <laughs> Pete, I'm filled with the Spirit. I'm going to sing to you now. <laughs> We're dead. Thanks for coming, Pete. And it doesn't mean that we're just supposed to like sit down and sing to one another. Although I did hear this amazing story about this rabbi in Israel who on the Sabbath, every Sabbath night, he sits his wife down and he sings Proverbs 31 to her in Hebrew in front of the whole family. Cheryl, it's Sunday night. <laughs> but here's what's amazing about singing to one another. When we sing to one another, here's the idea. We sing together and to one another because what we're doing is, is as we're singing, we're reminding one another who God is. We're witnessing to the fact that Jesus Christ lives. And we're reminding each other as we're singing. Like sometimes we come in here and we're like, well, I don't really feel like singing. It doesn't matter. As the Spirit is working in your life, as we sing the songs we sing, we're reminding the people in our rows and people in the sound of our voice, and I hope your voice is just loud enough so the person next to you can hear it, we're reminding them who God is. And then, of course, we sing to the Lord, because out of our hearts comes worship when we're full of the Spirit. Here's the second thing we do when we're full of the Spirit. We are thankful the second thing is we are thankful, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love this. A spirit-filled life is a thankful life. So it means it's not a life of bitterness. It's not a life of entitlement. It's not a life of complaining. So when you're grumbling and complaining about everything that's wrong with all the people in your life, your job, your boss, your kids, your spouse, your your grass, you know, like whatever's wrong, 
your broken car, not walking in the Spirit. But there's a sense that when we're filled with the Spirit of God, we are in awe of all that God has done for us in Christ. And what comes out of our mouths is thankfulness. Here's the third thing. This is a weird thing. We're going to submit to one another when we're filled with the Spirit. This is, looks like one sentence in English. It's just the end of the long sentence about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submit means to arrange under. And here's what's amazing. Everyone is supposed to be submitted to everyone else. That means in the church, like there's not like important people that are supposed to be in, like the unimportant people are supposed to submit to the important people. That's not even close to the body of Christ. We are all called to submit to one another. Now here's what submission is not. Submission is not the picture of an angry dictator or husband who says, you need to submit to me. We'll talk about that next week in the sermon on marriage. But submitting to one another is saying, I see so much value and worth in who you are. I see the beauty of who God has made you to be. And I am choosing to work for your good. Submission is not about authority in this context. It's about laying down your life for the good of others. Let me give you two biblical examples. I think the first one is in Philippians 2, chapter 3. It says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. That's a good definition of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's the second thing. Galatians 5.13, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free because the gospel of Jesus Christ has freed you. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly. Isn't that amazing? Like, that's the idea of submission. That we would walk into a place like this. That we would go to our connection groups. That we would have an attitude about our church that says, I am here to love you and serve you. And imagine how awesome it would be to walk into a gathering of God's people and no one's here is saying, I hope the music's good today. I hope Joe doesn't go too long today. I won't, don't worry. I hope the kids' ministry meets my kids' needs today. I hope they have good food back at the Connection Cafe and I get there before it's all gone. See, in, in the American church, we're always asking questions, does this church meet my needs? But that is so foreign to the Bible. What the scriptures say is, you are part of the people of God through faith in Jesus Christ, and you are now called to submit to the people of God you are a part of, not make it about you. That's what our lives are for. We are supposed to be looking around the rows. We are supposed to be seeing the people we like and we don't really like that much. And we're supposed to be saying, I see value. I see worth in you. I want to humbly serve you with my whole life. Isn't that amazing that that's the spirit-filled life? And I don't think this is like the only definition. But isn't it kind of like, I mean, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. No one ever told me that this was, the, this was what you did when you're spirit-filled. 
It usually involves some kind of spiritual gift, which is part of the Spirit-filled life. But Paul doesn't go to spiritual gifts with the church. He says, if you're filled with the Spirit, you're going to sing. If you're filled with the Spirit, thanksgiving is going to flow out of you. And if you're filled with the Spirit, you are going to be a servant to all. So let's be real before we go home today. Well, actually, we're going to have communion, sing another song. So uh, I just want to share a little bit about my life. And I just want you to know that I'm not sharing any of this because I need your pity. This season of my life has been uh, difficult, to say the least. I think that just some of the pressures that I've been feeling internally, and no one has done this to me, by the way. All I want you to know is this has been one of the hardest seasons that I think I've walked through as a follower of Jesus. As a dad, my heart breaks for my daughter. One of my friends said that our building project, uh, the Great Wall of China, went up faster than our building has gone up. We've been walking through that for a long time. It'll be done soon. And then there's just the reality that I'm a 36-year-old man who loves Jesus, but just always dealing with my own brokenness. And if I was just being very blunt with you this morning, I don't really think that if you walked with me the last two days, you would have seen a spirit-filled life. And just to be quite honest, I felt very down and very sad. And those of you who know me well, I don't get sad a lot. And I was wrestling with, again, trying to preach this text. And it hit me about something about the spirit-filled life. It's a battle. It is a battle. And what's amazing about this text is that I've been thinking about it. Do you know that in my own life, when I am battling, and when I sense that life is heavy, and I'm under a lot of pressure, and maybe you're here today and life is heavy, and you're walking through some hard things, I actually am not here this morning to say, well, just get filled with the Spirit and everything's going to be just fine. But do you know that when we feel down and even depressed... When life is difficult, I actually think the strategy, and I'm not talking about a clinical depression where you need to go see a doctor and get some meds. We're all for that here. I'm talking about just that general sadness when life is hard. Do you know that I think Ephesians 5, 18 through 21 is a way to just find joy in God again? Do you know that it's really hard not to find joy in God when you're singing to him? Like in just a few minutes, we're going to sing Christ Alone, Cornerstone. That your heart, even in the moments that you're sad and you're down, needs to be reoriented around the gospel, about what Jesus Christ has done for us. And you know that when life is hard and life is kind of beating down against you, that it's really choosing thankfulness, saying, God, I don't really want to walk through these things, and I really wish life was different, and I want to trade spots with Tyler, and for the first time in my life, I actually would rather go to Disney World. Like, I would just rather do that. But you know that when you turn your gaze off of your circumstances 
and you begin to just rehearse before the Lord, God, I am so thankful for the people of God. God, I am so thankful for a wife who has been so gracious and kind to me during this season. Lord, I'm so thankful that even though my daughter is walking through this hard thing, you have given her unexplainable peace and you are using her life to show the world that even on hard days, Jesus is good. God, thank you. Thank you. And a lot of times when we're weighed down by life and we're sad and we kind of turn inward, do you know what we almost never do? Serve others. See, when we're so into our own pain, sometimes we justify selfishness. But if we would submit to one another and serve others out of reverence for Jesus, there is something in the way that God has wired us that our hearts begin to find joy in God again when we give our lives away. So maybe you're here this morning and you're like, this whole spirit-filled thing, I don't buy it, dude. Yeah, I know. I get it. But maybe you should start singing. Maybe you should start thanking. And maybe you should start serving and submitting to those around you and giving your life for their good. That's what Jesus Christ has done for us.